For the first time in 35 years, the Super Bowl will have a team from L.A. That's right. L.A. will be represented at Super Bowl 53. In only their third season back in town, the Rams have a shot to win it all. They beat the New Orleans Saints in overtime. Some controversy, but regardless, the Rams are going to Atlanta. New England Patriots against the Rams. Super Bowl 53, Bill Plaschke will join us. Plus, the LAUSD teacher strike has affected not only educators, parents, and students, but my brother's a principal, my daughter did not go to school, but what about the athletes? Our Eric Sondheimer gives us an update on how sports will resume. Welcome to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I'm your host, Bethel Duran. It's Wednesday, January 23rd. Now, stay with me here. This is going to be my bad TV reporter impression, okay? Bill Plaschke, you're going to the Super Bowl to cover the L.A. Rams. How does that sound? Beto, Beto, first off, you got to start with the story I wrote last week in Thursday's edition of the L.A. Times. Yet another reason fans who want to know the truth before it becomes the truth need to read the L.A. Times sports section. Can I read you a paragraph of my story last week, Bethel? Because you may have forgotten it. Feel free there, Mr. Plasky. It might be considered a jinx to predict a Rams victory, but this jazzed-up version of the Rams is more powerful than voodoo, as the folks in New Orleans will discover when the outsiders go marching in Sunday and knock the Saints more senseless than a frat boy on Bourbon Street. <laughs> I ju- ju- just in case you forgot that, that's what I wrote. More powerful than voodoo. I'm standing by that. A frat boy on Bourbon Street, Bill Plasky. And guess what happened? The Rams won. How about that? Nostradamus Plasky's here. How about that? Look at you. It's amazing. When I wrote it Sunday, I questioned whether to put it in exclamation point next to it, but I had to. And you'll see it's like the third or fourth paragraph of my story. The Rams are going to the Super Bowl, exclamation point. It's amazing. Three years old. They've only been in town three years. And they're going to the Super Bowl. The freaking Super Bowl. It's amazing. <laughs> I love hearing your energy about this, Plasky. It's only the biggest sports event in the country, and it's all the first time in 35 years that an L.A. team has been in there. I wouldn't know. So I don't know. I, I'm 40 years old, and I don't remember an L.A. team being in the Super Bowl. I don't remember the last time it happened. The Raiders played beat the Redskins. I don't, I don't remember that game. I was five, so I don't remember that game ever happening. Yeah, well, it did. So anyway, it's the first time in 35 <laughs> years L.A.'s been involved in this biggest event. So the... You know, entertainment capital of the world is involved in the entertainment sports event of the year. So, yeah, it's a pretty good mix. It's pretty crazy. It is. Well, you know, Bill, I take a lot of pride in being from L.A. I don't root for teams, but whenever L.A. is represented well and it's put on a pedestal and it's put on a big stage, I'm all about it. Yeah, I think at our, at our sports section, we do not root for teams, but I do root for the city. I want the city to do well. People say, how can you rip USC football or how can you rip the Dodgers? You know, when they lose or they do something poorly, they embarrass the city. It's all about the city. And when they do well, they say, well, how can you praise them when they do well and when they do bad? Because it's about representing L.A., just like you said. And I'm all about L.A. And the Rams make L.A. look good right now. Now, Bill, I just told you, I don't remember the last time there was an L.A. team in the Super Bowl. I know it was the Raiders. History-wise, I know it was there, but I didn't watch it. I don't know anything about it. For somebody who's even younger than me, put this in perspective of what it's like to have your team in the Super Bowl. I know you said it's the biggest thing in the world, but if you don't know, you just don't know. Beto, I don't know. I've been a columnist. It's been 35 years. I've only been to paper 31 years. So I don't know either. So we don't know what to do. No, I mean, I've, I've covered, this will be my 22nd Super Bowl covering it. So I know what it's like. I know how to cover it. And you get there in this craziness. I don't know what it's going to be like to do the city, whether people are going to be, and I think people, I'm going to write this uh, in, the, in the LA Times this week. I think having the Patriots involved in the game 
will galvanize L.A. because everybody hates New England. I hate the Patriots. I hate Belichick. I hate Brady. They're cheaters. They're arrogant. They always win. I'm sick and tired of the Patriots. And I think L.A. fans will agree. It's Boston, too. Plus, it's Boston. Yeah. Boston, L.A., I just sat there in a press box and watched Boston celebrate in Dodger Stadium less than three months ago. For the people that are going to go to the Super Bowl, what kind of spectacle is it? I, I've never been to one. Well, the tickets are like three grand now, I think. Oof. Uh, um, and you know what? It's worth it for one game because you feel like you're in the center of the universe. And it's so well done and so well executed. And every play, everything that happens is history. Everything that happens in this game is history. The Rams can make history. And I, although, speaking of history... I thought I was history last week when I almost got in a fight with Marcus Peters. What? Did you read about that? Yeah. What's his deal with you? Well, I asked him during a press conference last week to evaluate his performance for the season. And he got burned by the Saints last time. So I got to ask the question. And he says, we're not done yet. And I said, no, no, no. You personally, what about your season? He says, we're not done yet. They looks at me and he says, what are you getting at? And of course he knew, what is I going to say? I'm getting at that you've been awful this season. So then he goes into this big rambling diatribe about how you have to be down and get back up and everything. It was all and it was fine. It was good. And then he says, it's like when you have a bad day and don't want to come to work. Don't you have bad days sometimes? And I said, honestly, my day has been going great until then. I said, I got a bad day now. And, and he looked at me. He goes, that's a bad question. And I said, no, it's not. Anyway, the highlight of Super Bowl week is media day. It's media night. It'll be Monday night. All the players are available. I'm going to be at Marcus Peters' podium, listening to everything he says, because he's off the hook. He'll say anything. His whole thing leading up to the Saints game was about how he wanted to pay back Sean Payton for insulting him in the previous meeting. And he said, after we beat them, we're going to have a nice little bowl of gumbo. So I go up, we go up to him after the game Sunday, and Gary Klein, the tremendous, tremendous LA Times beat writer, says, okay, Marcus, how about that gumbo? He says, oh, I was just bull bleeping you guys. I don't even like gumbo. I like goulash. <laughs> so that's Marcus Peters. Um, and he'll be a, he'll be one of the characters that the Rams have. They don't have a lot of characters. Jared Goff is pretty dull. Robert Woods is a pretty good talker. Todd Gurley, not a good talker. Aaron Donald, not a great talker. Sue is not a great talker. But Marcus Peters, he'll be all over the place during the Super Bowl week. Now, Plasky, when you cover the Super Bowl as a columnist, you get to write whatever you want, pretty much, right? That's right. So normally, I go and try to get, like, the offbeat stories, people in the shadows. I did one of my most read Super Bowl stories of the last couple of years was when the Falcons were playing the uh, Patriots. And Alex Mack, one of the Falcons' offensive linemen, I asked him during the media day, I didn't know what to ask him. And so I said, you know what? Who's the best player you've ever seen play? And he was, he was from Santa Barbara. And he gave me the name of this guy. Nobody ever heard of this guy. And I never heard of this guy. And his name escapes me as we speak. But I tracked this guy down and did a column on this former high school hero who Alex Mack had cited as a uh, one of his uh, greatest players. A guy had fallen on hard times. So those kind of weird stories, offbeat stories, I like to do. But this time... I'm going to probably have to, in one, to comment on everything that's going on. I'm going to write one this week about how we hate the Patriots. I'm going to write about Todd Gurley. Is Should he be playing more? What happened? What's the deal with Todd Gurley? I'm going to be writing about uh, Marcus Peters. What's the deal with the craziness of Marcus Peters? You know, somebody will, and somebody will say something nuts. Something will happen. It always does. And I'll be commenting on that. Yeah, that story you wrote about Alex Mack was his high school teammate at San Marcos High, Duncan Cryer. Duncan Cryer. That's right. 
you went and found him. So those are the kind of stories that we expect from Plaschke all week long at Super Bowl as the LA Times sending their entire football staff out there. Plaschke, Gary Klein, who covers the beat, Sam Farmer, and then some, and then some, and then some. LA Times is going to be the spot where you want to go. Are you are you going, Beto? Are you going? Bill, I'm not going, but after listening to you and you the way you're talking about it, I am hyped for it. How much of LA is in on this? Oh, they're all in. All in. Because I've seen the brand new uh, Rams caps, and I'm okay with it. Car flags. Yeah, I'm okay with it because, look, take some civic pride in it, people. Because a lot of football fans are fair weather. They're not too sure about it. But when you start winning, hey, they will show up. You know, the name of the podcast, Arrive Early, Leave Late. If you win, we get there early. We leave late. We celebrate you. What bigger stage than the Super Bowl? And I've, it's the only sport event I've never covered, and I'm tempted to just say, you know what? I'll go as a fan. Because you never know when this might happen again. Dan Marino went to one Super Bowl, right? And also, it's history. It's history to watch something like this. It's history. It's everything happens is historic from the first kickoff to the last buzzer. Guess how many Rams have been to the Super Bowl? How many Rams on this team? Yep. Uh, two. Two? Wow. I was going to say six. Only two. How many Patriots have been to the Super Bowl? All of them. <laughs> they were just there last year. I mean, okay. Let me ask you this. As a L.A. columnist, do you hate Tom Brady? Yes. <laughs> I just said that earlier. Yeah, but I mean, do you really mean that? Yes. What do you go? Oh, oh, so I'm saying stuff I don't mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm on this podcast spewing a smack. No, he cheated. He cheated. He ordered those footballs deflated. He cheated. <laughs> now, do I respect him as the greatest quarterback ever? Yes. Did I write a column last year saying he's harder and harder to hate? Yes. Still hate him. Look at the video they did. They did a, did a video that uh, he and Gronk did on uh, Instagram right after they beat the, the, the Chiefs. You watch it and tell me how smug they are. Yes, I hate the Patriots. I don't like them. <laughs> don't like anything about them. I love getting you riled up, Bill. They haven't done it the right way, to my opinion. And yet they keep doing it and they keep getting away with it. Yeah. So why do you hate them? I just, I just said <laughs> because they, they have the Spygate. There's been about two gates in football, Spygate and Deflategate. They're in the middle of both of them. Teams have to watch themselves. They don't get things stolen out of their locker rooms when they come to the games, the way the games are played, the way they bend the rules. They've done it all along. They think they're better than all that. They're great. They're, they're the greatest combination of coach player in the history of probably sports, not just football. It's time to see their era end. And we thought it ended last year when Philadelphia beat him in the Super Bowl, and I was so happy. Beto, I was watching in the press box, writing my story in the Superdome Sunday, watching the Patriots-Chiefs game, cheering for the Chiefs. Really? No cheering in the press box? The hell with that. I was cheering for the Chiefs. Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't that have been a better Super Bowl anyway? I don't want to see the damn Patriots again. I'm sick of it. I'm trying to keep it together, but I know you really feel like that. That's why I'm trying to poke you a little bit. But my goodness, you're coming strong today. An LA Super Bowl victory for the Rams. What will it do for LA Civic Pride? Well, it'll be I mean, it'll be huge. I mean, again, it's not it's not Lakers, it's not Dodgers. Yeah. They'll have a parade. I'll be interested to see how big the parade is, to be honest with you. Because you know, they're based in Thousand Oaks. Of course, they play in the Coliseum. You know, the Dodgers haven't done anything this winter. The Lakers are a complete mess. And LeBron James, those tires may be ready to blow on him. He's been out for a month now. A month. USC football is under a huge, huge chaos because they kept Clay Helton. UCLA football was terrible. Uh, Chip Kelly, you know, UCLA basketball doesn't have a coach. It's There's a lot going on that's not great. So this would really get us through to at least till the, till the middle of next summer 
when the Dodgers maybe can have a chance to get back to the World Series. Bill Plaschke will be covering his first Super Bowl featuring an L.A. team in his time with the L.A. Times. As always, Bill, thank you so much. Check out all your coverage from Super Bowl 53 and, uh, you know, sneak me into the press box. If you get me in, I'll, I'll hate the Patriots, too. Good luck. You know, the security is so tough at the Super Bowl, you can't sneak in anywhere. But you ought to come down, Beto. Wait, don't you want my Super Bowl prediction? Oh, are you allowed to give a prediction? I'm allowed. I'm paid. I'm paid to do it. Yeah! I just did it. I did it last week, and I got it right. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it again. I want to hear Super Bowl Fifty Three Rams Patriots. Bill Plasky's prediction is Rams twenty eight twenty four. Ooh, Rams are bringing it home, baby. They didn't say I'm, I'm just not. They're rooting for me. It's just, just fact. It's just fact that Brady and Belichick are brilliant and great and all that, but the Rams just have more firepower. They have too many weapons. The Patriots are not quick enough and athletic enough to keep up with them. The Rams win this. 28-24. I'm calling it right here. I'm calling it, and I want you to have me back on the podcast in two weeks to give me applauds, give me my props for calling this game correctly, okay? Bill, you're coming on the podcast in two weeks no matter what. All right. You have me on the podcast, and you'll say, I am the king. You'll say, Bill, you are the king. I'll say that right now. Once I get back on here. El Rey, Bill Plaschke. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Beto. As always, Plaschke brings it strong. Great coverage all week long from Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta coming your way from the LA Times Sports Department. I think everybody is going. And that Super Bowl featuring the Patriots and the Rams will, of course, feature some kind of Southern California ties. Off the top of my head, I think it's Robert Woods with the Sarah High and USC as a receiver for the Rams. But I'm not even going to pretend like I know who's doing what. The man who knows everything about prep sports, the guru, he does it all. It's a one-man band covering, it seems like, 8 million schools in Southern California. The one and only Eric Sondheimer. Eric, I've read you for years from your daily news days to your LA 36 TV days with Randy Rosenblum watching you. And now you cover Southern California sports, not just the prep, you also do horse racing, right? Yes, and I have horses, so I have to be careful about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Then we'll go another subject. But the reason I really wanted to get you in here before we get into the other stuff is Super Bowl 53. There's an L.A. connection here. I mentioned Robert Woods, but it seems like every single year there's somebody that you probably saw in high school playing in the Super Bowl. What's it like watching those kids grow up? Well, it's so much fun because typically they're really prominent in these games. You know, Malcolm Smith out of Taft High School was a Super Bowl MVP, and they just keep developing. It used to be John Elway playing a lot in the Super Bowl from Granadillo's High School. And this year it's going to be fun to see Robert Woods out of Gardena Serra. Of course, he had to eliminate Michael Thomas out of Taft, the great receiver for the Saints. And New England Patriots have the annual game where Matthew Slater gets to announce what coin flip he's going to be selecting. It was very important Last week, he's out of survey. He won the coin flip that got Tom Brady the ball. Now, you mentioned those players off the top of your head. I didn't even tell you, Eric, what players. You already knew. I already knew you knew. But the reason, I, before we get to the Super Bowl and other stuff at Southern California Sports, the LAUSD teacher strike really affected not just the parents. I'm one of them. My daughter goes to a school in San Pedro. My brother's a principal at Mesa's High in Maywood. And I didn't really talk to him about that. I didn't talk to the teacher friends I have. I was reading you. I really just narrowed down my Twitter to just sports. Like, I got rid of all the politics people. I got rid of the opinion people. I just have sports. I see your tweets a lot. And and you were out there front line the first day tweeting about how this is affecting the student athletes. Of course, they're there for school and education, but athletics play such a huge role in high school life, especially when you're a senior because you're working towards that. They're senior nights. How did the LAUSD teacher strike affect the athletic departments? 
it clearly had a huge impact. And these kids, as you said, they're athletes and they're also students and they work so hard. And the fact that they have nothing to do out there and they won't let them do anything. They've closed the gyms. They shut down the soccer fields. They wouldn't let them play baseball. So it's had a huge impact, but it's only been a week. And I think it, they'll be able to overcome that with a lot of help from different people. They got to get the schedules back on going. Some games will probably be lost permanently. And that's the sad part for a senior year. You're looking forward to all these rivalry games games and somehow they're going to try and see how many of these games can get rescheduled but as it stands they're going to require one practice at least one practice each team have before they restart the season and I think that's fair Uh, lots of teams probably could use two or three practices it just depends on how much students were actually working out on their own during this strike I read that the Westchester basketball team got together at a park somewhere else so the players weren't allowed to be on campus practicing at all There were no coaches allowed to be directing them in practices. And because the facilities were mostly used, they had auditoriums and gyms filled with students. Whatever they were doing would have been very difficult for them to use that during the school day. But after schools, these schools were locked down. So players only practices were allowed. So some of these players maybe want to become future coaches. So they're getting tested by (laughs) running the practices and they weren't getting paid. So they'll be used to be a coach in the future. So let me see. I can just go and watch the Westchester team at some LA Fitness and they're running. That's kind of what was going on, right? Exactly. And wow. Fairfax, uh, their star guards, uh, Ethan Anderson and Robert McCray, were assigned themselves coaching duties. So we're going to see which one of those people are going to be a future coach and, and whether the coach actually listens to them now that they've run their teams for a while. Now, the, right now, it's basketball, soccer season? Basketball, soccer, water polo, and wrestling. Obviously, right now, the basketball gets the big names, but if you're a wrestler or a water polo player, most likely you're not going to play in college or you're not going anywhere else after that. It just I feel bad for a kid who's worked so hard for this, especially the wrestlers, because my nephew is a wrestler, where you're trying to cut weight for a match and then there's nothing there. Right. And for the city section, next week is the uh, the dual meets and they just have to get back into shape. So they're really not going to miss as much, but they've missed coaching for a week. And hopefully those athletes were doing what they could do at home or in a gym, just trying trying to stay in shape. That must have been hard for a coach who has these young men and women listening to them. They're molding them. They're making them into better adults. And that's the beauty of sports is where you learn how to work as a team, but not being able to communicate with them. I know you spoke with a lot of coaches who said that's probably the hardest part is you can't help the kids who trust you. I remember the strike 30 years ago in 1989. It came right before the baseball playoffs and the parents and the kids were furious at the coach for walking out because they thought it might prevent the playoffs from even happening. And there was real hatred going on between all those individuals. Luckily, it ended right before the baseball playoffs. The city final got played at Dodger Stadium. People eventually made up. This time, I haven't noticed as much animosity going on between the parents and the coaches. I think they felt it was going to be over in a week and they could overcome this as long as the playoffs get taken in place. And it appears that that's what's going to happen. What I expect the city section to do is expand the playoff brackets. They will allow more teams in for those that are rescheduled in basketball and soccer. And so nobody should be left out of the playoffs, but the seniors will miss out on some games that could add to their stats or their memory. So how does this affect the state playoffs? Will that affect them at all? Because the strike is ending, it will not affect the state because they're going to start on time and everybody will be fine. It's just a matter of, again, Fairfax and Westchester were two of the top teams in the state. They were reaching peak form and now they've been off for a week. So you got to get back into that mental capacity to be ready. But the game is set for Friday. I'm looking forward to being out there at Westchester. 
how do administrators reschedule games? Now, I coached JV baseball for two years in carts in the late 90s. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And if there was ever rain, forget it. They're not rescheduling your game. If there was no bus, they're not rescheduling. How are they going to figure out a way to reschedule all these made-up games to find officials, to find administrators? How do they do that? Well, the officials are graciously not going to charge them for changing. They have a fee they usually charge when you change the game. This time, they're not going to do it. But because there's only one week left in the regular season, that's why I don't think many of these games are going to reschedule. Lots of teams are already playing three games next week. They could play on a Thursday or do multiple games. The officials that were previously assigned can do those games. So I don't think that's the main problem. The athletic directors are on strike. So now they have to come back and get back to their computers and get it going. My goodness. (laughs) It's, a, is, it's been a big mess. Well, yeah, because I would see your tweets in the morning. You would take pictures of the Garfield High team or people sending you pictures of their coaches. And you know every single coach in every single school. What was the reaction from some of these coaches when they're reaching out to you? Because they know that they can use you to get their message out also. I was surprised that they were pretty uh, enthusiastic. You know, usually coaches are negative about everything, (laughs) but maybe those were the football coaches whose season had already ended and they're tired and they want to go out there picket. I think the basketball coaches were a little annoyed because they want to get back to playing. And I know the kids were annoyed because they're stuck at home. Most of them didn't go to school. I hope everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the attendance dipped badly. So I think those kids were out playing video games, although hopefully they were out at the 24-hour fitness trying to get better individually, and, and a couple of them actually schedule practices. What about recruiting? Are college coaches allowed to watch these games? Like uh, right now? Is- right. The basketball could go out and watch them, but I think mainly they're waiting for the playoffs, so I don't okay. think it's going to affect that much. But football recruiting was. The city section coaches were not around. This is past week was when college coaches could go out and make visits and start looking ahead really? towards next year. So, yeah, so some of these city schools have not been visited by the college coaches, and so some of the underclassmen necessarily have, have left out were left out and being seen so right here in january this is the time where collegiate coaches like usc ucla they can come visit a high school and see like the juniors or the sophomores right and that was done that was wow. done so you uh like narbon several coaches wanted to go out to narbon and talk to people but the coach douglas was not going to come in and let them in because he's on strike and he's not going to wow. do that but he basically told them you know who the players are as soon as this is over with we'll try and get things going Wow, so many things affected by the LAUSD strike. So they're going to get back in there. They're going to get played, and the state playoffs are not affected. So it could have been worse if this would have been maybe another week. Another couple of days, I think it would have been extremely difficult. They, wow. they would have had to revise the playoffs. And again, it would have been an even bigger mess. As it stands, I think things will work out. Maybe the teams won't play as well. Maybe there'll be more fouls being called by the officials. Maybe everybody will be in an ordinary mood. But I think they'll be in a happy mood. They just get out there and go. And the Fairfax-Westchester game, you better get there early because seats will be at a premium. That will be at Fairfax? That will be at Westchester At Westchester. Friday. And then when they play at Fairfax, I don't know, Flea has gone to those high school games yes <laughs> what is it about high school sports that you just love covering i just think the stories are, are so great you find not just the superstar athletes but others that are trying to overcome things and you see the teamwork it's not like it was in the past where you had community schools where people in the neighborhood went to those schools we all know how it's changed people get to pick and choose there's transfers all the time but the coaches are in it for mostly for the right reasons and so are the kids you have some crazy parents but for hmm. the most part it's fun it's enthusiastic and it's a little bit unpredictable we don't know who's going to win that westchester fairfax game 
continent. They've had some great rivalries through the years. I remember when I was watching Trevor Ariza out there and a fellow announcer was saying, I'd pay $20 for Trevor Ariza to shoot a three because he was 6'8 and, and he shouldn't be shooting threes. But now he's one of the best three-point shooters <laughs> in the NBA. So you never know how people are going to develop. When you see these young kids, let's just say Trevor Ariza or James Harden, go from high school kids. I mean, they were cream of the crop as high school kids. You know, you know they're going to be special. But when they get to that level, do you take some pride in saying, hey, I saw him win? Because I know I do. When I see Russell Westbrook, I knew him when I did Hawthorne Cable. And I like, look, Russell in 11th grade didn't play much. He had a big foot and told everybody he's going to Pac-10. And we're like, yeah, right, sure, Russell, go to San Diego. And now look at him. Like, I take pride in seeing those kids like, wow, that's pretty cool. Particularly those that like to come back to their communities and offer help. That, to me, is the most important thing. I mean, one of the first superstars I got to cover was Brett Saberhagen at Cleveland High School. Threw a no-hitter in the city finals. Was drafted by the Kansas City Royals. Signed and was in the World Series within, I believe it was two or three yeah, years. he was 21 in the World Series. Yeah, and so, and, but he stayed humble and, and everybody like that. And, and that's the best. John Elway was the first star athlete I really covered back in 1976. He went to Granada Hills High School. When you get to cover a Hall of Famer in your very first situation, it raises expectations a little bit. But the fact that he maintained the communication with his coaches through the years, even though he was at Granada Hills only three years, remember he had moved from Washington to come down here. And so those are the kids that I really like that keep coming back and helping their former coaches and their schools maintain committed. Giancarlo Stanton was just back this past week at Notre Dame High School being inducted into their school Hall of Fame. And he's always back at the baseball field hitting balls over the fences, breaking windows. And so it's nice to see all these kids coming back. No, no longer kids, but they're they're very rich and also sometimes, <laughs> but very helpful. Do you remember the first time you saw somebody and you're like, okay, this kid is going to be a stud. Like which one just stood out? To be honest, it, it was always Elway because he really? threw the ball unlike any other quarterback. he played football and baseball. Right. And he also played a little bit of basketball. But because of his arm strength and the velocity, I'll never forget, he was just different than every other quarterback before and since. And you have to remember back in those days, everybody would say, he's the next Elway. He's the next Elways. And I would just roll my eyes because I knew there would not be another Elway. He was so unique in the way he threw the ball. And yeah, there's been some great quarterbacks, but nobody, nobody quite his arm strength that I've ever seen. That was you just knew. Right. He was unique and also because his father was a coach, that certainly helped uh, him. Got to the Hall of Fame, won a couple of Super Bowls. I mean, that, that <laughs> so Sondheimer has a good eye for talent. Now, this year's Super Bowl, you mentioned Matthew Slater, Robert Woods, and their kids that you saw also coming up. Like, well, there's some others from Southern California, yeah. but those are the main ones that I remember in covering them uh, from the L.A. area. When you see these kids, you know, like Slater, his dad was offensive lineman, Jackie Slater, and he's small. He's in the Super Bowl every year, it seems like, Matthew Slater with the <laughs> Patriots. At UCLA, he was okay, but he wasn't somebody who was really making a big deal. Robert Woods was on star teams with Gardena Serra. At USC, was solid, Buffalo. But to see these guys in the Super Bowl, I think every single year, there's got to be somebody that you've covered in the Super Bowl. Is it true? It's getting close, but not <laughs> every year. But Robert Woods in particular is such a great story. I remember him in high school. And the first big story I wrote about him it was about his sister. She had died mm -hmm. of cancer. And he opened up about that. And he was such a great person. And it definitely affected him. And you see it as every step of the way. He's so nice to people. And he's great to come back to his hometown team. He played for USC. And so it, it's a great story just to see what he's been able to accomplish. The school loves him like nobody else. And it's just a great role model for everybody. How many schools do you cover? 
Well, you have to understand, <laughs> it's everybody in Southern California from San Luis Obispo to San Diego, close to the San Diego line, and you go out to Antelope Valley. So it's it's hundreds of schools, but it's not like I cover every one. No, okay. I, I, I'm responsible, and I could write if something happens in those areas, but my main job is to kind of highlight trends that are happening in Southern California and also go out to games that are outstanding that involve a talented athletes. What I really respect and admire about your, not just that you cover like everybody in this day and age has a camera and they're now uh, prep gurus, prep insiders, and they have their own websites and they only worry about the top five teams. St. John Bosco, modern day, here we go. That's it. You are worried about the Division 12 team. You're worried about Animo Jackie Robinson. I remember you wrote about Huntington Park High School played in the state championship playoff and they went down to, I think, Mexicali or El Centro and you went with them. I think reading those stories, because for me, high school sports are still pure, even though it's corrupt in many ways, but it's still pure because the kids still don't know how to do interviews. They still don't know what they don't know. And they still have that pride of playing for their school. And when you unearth a kid from Boron or Acton, I kid you not, Eric, I know more about Southern California cities by reading you. I've learned where Vasquez is and <laughs> I just all these Temecula schools that popped up overnight because you were writing about them. How do you find these stories? A lot of it has to do with coaches sending in uh, suggestions and, and so forth, and also just uh, looking around and seeing what subjects would create an interesting stories, because it is a challenge. I don't want to just write about L.A. or Orange County. I want to explore outside of those areas, and I need to introduce people, and it's got to be a story that, again, it has a, a bit of a trend that everybody or some at least somebody is affected by it beyond the family situation. So, yeah, it's fun to go out there and not just to cover. I could cover the Trinity every week because they are the best in football, but it's not good for me. It's not good for our readers. We know they're good, but we want to find other people involved. And I'm somebody who's been around for so long. I remember the community schools, and I still think that's very important to try and recognize those schools that are doing their best under difficult circumstances. When I go and speak to different high schools, I try to talk to journalism classes. And believe me, there's still some out there, believe it or not. And I try to speak to LA Unified. I went to Carson High School, played baseball there. All my friends are mostly LAUSD teachers. I get that sense of this is home. I take a lot of pride in that. And so the city section for me, I, I still take that pride in it. And it's sad to see. I went to the Carson Garfield football game this year. I look across the stands. Arnold Ali, who played at Notre Dame and UCLA, is the coach. His son is the quarterback. I look in the stands. Not many people are there. I go to St. John Bosco game and I see some people in the stands. I'm like, wait a minute. You're from Carson. <laughs> like your kids should be. A, it's just a different time. My son is in eighth grade. I'm trying to figure out if he's going to go to Bosco or Loyola, even though he lives in Carson. I, I change things up. Things change. Maybe not sometimes for the better, but you understand why. If you have an elite athlete, why kids are leaving Manhattan Beach like Josh Rosen to go to St. John Bosco. Why these kids are going different places. But when you reach back and you write about the community schools, it just seems like there's so much pride still in there that people want to represent for whatever school they're wearing. Right. If you've never gone to a Garfield uh, Roosevelt football oh. game, that's where you determine and see mm -hmm. how different things are and how they used to be and they continue to be. Silmar has a, and San Fernando both have strong neighborhood support. And I think that helps them overcome the disadvantage that they have, as you said. I still think there's ways to go to those schools and become an elite athlete. There's dedicated coaches out there who may don't get the publicity or don't have the support financially or otherwise. And so each parent has to make a decision what they want their son or daughter to get out of their situation. And the other way is there's private coaches that can help them overcome what they may be lacking at a public school. I've learned that world. My son plays basketball and he's 
good. He's not elite, but that world of the private trainer where the nutritionist, I'm like, wait a minute. He's in fifth grade. I don't, he needs to learn to hit a free throw first before I. Yeah. You need three jobs to pay for that too. I'm going on tangent now. What is this seven on seven world I've been told about? What is this? Everybody in football is trying to sell seven-on-seven all-star games. They think that's the way to get a college scholarship. But what's seven-on-seven? It's just passing the ball. And it's passing league? You take Yes, you take out the linemen and you have seven-on-seven football. But it's not the schools, right? No, no, no. It's all-star teams and you play for among teams and they're trying to straight these leagues. And all I got to say is that if your high school coach is participating, that's a good thing. If not, I don't see the point of it. The high schools I... are all have you working very hard. I really don't see the point of it other than supposedly to get some exposure, have somebody write your name up, and maybe if you have the physical measurements that they're looking for, maybe they'll really offer you a scholarship with based on not tackling or anything else. What a business. Yeah, it what is quite a, a business. business. The business side of prep sports is very interesting to me. I Right. Parents can give you all kinds of stories, just like you. It's been going on in soccer and in yeah. softball for years. The club soccer world. Oh, my goodness, Eric. Right. So now it's trying to get into football. I really don't think it's going to get there because it's too complicated. But if it gets there, we're all in trouble. All right. I'm going to do a little Q&A with you, Eric. You just gave me the first name that comes up to you. Best baseball player you've seen? As a high school kid, that would be uh, Brett Saberhagen. But the 2000s, we've been seeing several good ones. Giancarlo Stanton's probably the best athlete I've ever seen. Notre Dame, hi, Giancarlo Stanton. What's up, Arash Barkazi? I know you went to Notre Dame also. Arash, a new columnist here at the LA Times. Uh, basketball. Basketball, I got to see Stanley Johnson was a great player. First round pick out of modern day. Gilbert Arenas out of Grant was tremendous. He's out of the city section, so I like him a lot. You're a city section guy? I did. Went to Sun Valley Poly. Oh, that's right. Poly Parrots. That's right. That's right. We were good in baseball. Yeah, at one point. <laughs> the entire Valley's good in baseball. Uh, soccer. Who stands out? Soccer, Eric Ronaldo. I liked him when he was at Westlake. Very okay. good, good player. But you also cover horse racing. Yep. So how do you cover a sport where they don't talk to you? <laughs> Good point. I've been following horse racing since the 70s. I, I remember when Bill Shoemaker was around. It's always been fun. And then recently, I'm trying to learn how to be a horse owner, a part owner. Oh, you're serious about owning horses? I am. I own two, 25% of two horses, and I'm hoping to write a book about my experiences. But I need a happy ending, so we need to win a stake someday. <laughs> Wait, so you have two horses two that horses. are the thoroughbreds? That's right. One is Brave Helios, a four-year-old. He's based at Golden Gate. And we have a two-year-old, Sarah Crew, who's going to be running for the first time this year. So be on the lookout for those two horses. How do you, okay, do they just send you bills for like veterinarian? Yeah, I have a great co-owner, Jeff Siegel. He was in the business. I know Jeff Siegel, yeah. Right, tremendous. I trust him completely, so he kind of handles it. That's why it's been a lot easier. Just told me, what is the worst case scenario if things don't go right? Said you'd lose 10000 a year, so last year, that's what I ended up losing. <laughs> so it's a tax write-off. That's what they tell me. I'll, <laughs> I'll find out this year, but... The horse ran once, uh, Brave Helios. He finished fourth and got disqualified, placed fifth. So we made $800. He injured one of his legs and he's fine now and ready to go. But yeah, I learned about patience. So they just send you bills. They just send you bills what every made, month. What made you every month? Every month you get a bill. So everything down, it's like $75 a day to take care of a horse, train them, feed them. But then you get vet bills. And, and then if you win, you get you have to pay the jockey, the trainer. Uh, I don't see how this is a good investment. I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm, that's what I wanted to see is what exactly is going on. How do these people make money? I think it's all about writing off things. But you have to try and make money one or twice because the IRS will get you if you don't make money at least so, once or twice. But you're like, wait a minute, my horse is losing. I'm, I can't. <laughs> 
I know I don't understand how these people can stay involved in this unless they have endless money. I got in it to see if this could be my future enterprise. And right now, it's touchy-touchy, but I enjoy the horse. I tell you, to meet these horses, they're like family. And after he lost, I wasn't that mad at him because I, I just, I think he tries hard. So I, I grew up going to the track with my dad to Hollywood Park in Santa Anita. So that's how I learned how to do fractions, why reading the daily racing form. <laughs> I didn't know, like, I learned, I knew more about a furlong and fillies and mares than I did what was going on in the second grade. But I go to the track. I still, I take my kids down to Santa Anita. It's a beautiful, great experience. I want to just go in the circle one time. Right. For me, it's, it's about the fun part of of having a horse to root for and stuff. The money, obviously, you know you're not going to make necessarily make money. There's no guarantees. So it's more about having some fun and seeing how it operates. And like I said, I'm learning a lot. I've had this horse since he was a two-year-old. He's turned four this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how the next year goes about. This will be a key year for me to understand where we're at. Do you get like a special pass that says owner? Exactly. You do? But you had to pay $100 ah! for that. It, but it gets you into Santa Anita through everything. So no Do you get a parking what, pass? You do. You just show oh. that pass. So yeah, that's a, another good, okay. a fun part to give you a, a little pass. Have you covered the Kentucky Derby? I have not, and that's something I would love to do All down right. the road. It's time for Angel Rodriguez, sports <laughs> editor. We are taking the Arrive Early Leave Late podcast <laughs> to the Kentucky Derby. That's what we got to do. There you go. <laughs> oh, my. Eric Sondheimer does a great job covering the Southern California prep scene, the horse racing scene. Just everything in general. Love talking with him. Definitely be back on the podcast very soon because I'm going to try to figure out why I was snubbed for All City back in 1996. Maybe if I would have played, if that would have helped. Your uh, social media, Eric, is? It's L-A-T Sondheimer. The Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Eric Sondheimer always bringing some good stories. It's like a history book of prep sports in Southern California. Definitely coming back to the podcast sometime soon. Just got to figure out how come I never made it into one of his stories back in the 90s. Yeah, because guess I wasn't good enough. Don't like it? Play better, as one of my good friends would say. And Bill Plashy, well, he always writes better than most of us around here. He will be at the Super Bowl along with the rest of the LA Times crew. It'll be a stacked staff for you. The Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast. As always, thanks again for everybody who's been listening, rating, reviewing, sharing. Continue to do that. Tweet me, Durant Sports. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. This podcast, as always, produced by Dave Wine. Engineered by Mike Keflin. Angel Rodriguez is the sports editor. I am your host, Bethel Duran. As always, thanks for listening to the Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast. But it's not just sports. LA Times really invested in the podcast world. There's a homepage for it. You can go and find out everything that the LA Times is doing podcast world at latimes.com slash podcast. That's latimes.com slash podcasts.